So when we have these high ocean temperatures, you're kind of exceeding that upper threshold of temperature for kelp, so yeah. that stresses them out. And then with the warmer water comes a lower level of nutrients and they need nutrients to grow. So it's kind of like this double whammy. All right, my name is Tom Campbell and I'm a kelp biologist and I am the president and founder of West Coast Kelp, a startup whose mission is to enable effective and efficient large-scale kelp restoration. Hi and welcome to Below the Tide. My name is Liz and I am your host. Today I am sitting down with Tom Campbell and we are talking about kelp and kelp restoration and this amazing company that Tom has founded in kind of the kelp industry and restoration, farming, sustainable uses for kelp. It's going to be great. So Below the Tide is a podcast. If you have never been here before and you're new, welcome. This podcast is basically making marine science a little bit easier to understand. So every week I sit down with a marine scientist and we talk about their work. We talk about the impacts of their work. We talk about some climate change. We talk about marine mammals. We talk about all sorts of things. And my goal is really just to make marine science more accessible to people. So there's the podcast here, and then on my Twitter and Instagram pages, you'll find visual resources. So that'll be things like pictures and videos, some definitions, maybe some maps. My handles for both of those are at below the tide pod. And I totally encourage you to go and check those out, follow them. You'll get updates on everything. Extra resources will come out and at least that way you know when episodes come out and also hit follow and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast so that you do get notifications when new podcast episodes come out other than that i hope that you enjoy grab a coffee and listen up so before we jump into west coast kelp yeah. do you want to kind of give an overview of what kelp is yeah sure so um, seaweeds, more mm -hmm. generally, are classified into three sort of main groups. The red seaweeds, the green seaweeds, and the brown seaweeds. And kelps are a special group within the brown seaweeds. So taxonomically, kelps are referred to uh, as the order Laminarialis, um, which is the taxonomic classification. And um, all the species within that order share a common ancestor and share very similar traits. And uh, there's a genetic connection between them. So that's why they get classified into that order. But um, uh, the term kelps is a much more friendly term and sometimes gets applied to other species outside of that specific order, um, but share very similar traits and oftentimes share very similar um, ecological functions. So kelps normally are easily identified by their large brown leafy blade structures. So mm -hmm. for the most part, most kelps have a large blade, um, brown in color, and then underneath the blade there's usually a stipe, which is very similar to uh, land plant stems, but mm -hmm. we call it a stipe. And then underneath that, downwards, is a holdfast structure. And what that structure does, that attaches the kelp onto the underlying substrate, um, keeps it in place as it's experiencing wave action and currents, and, um, and it holds it fast to the substrate, hence the name hold fast. So that's kind of like the easiest way to um, identify kelp. Mm -hmm. And they are found all over the world across uh, temperate coastal ecosystems. 
and there's about 30 species of them worldwide. And here in the Northeast Pacific, we have one of the highest um, diversities of kelp in the Whoa. world. We have, I'm not sure the exact number, but it's somewhere around 20 of the 30, 30 species can be found here in the Northeast Pacific. Wow. Yeah. And like, I know in my experience, they grow to be really long, but I feel like a lot of people haven't seen them underwater or like seen them in person. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, a lot of people, um, like their experience with kelp has been, maybe they've been walking down the beach and this like, very strange like alien-like structure washes up and it's already kind of in the process of decomposing yeah. and you take a look at it and you're like what is that i don't know it smells i'm not gonna i'm not gonna pick it up but uh that is usually when the kelp has like reached the end of its life cycle um but yeah uh what was the question again <laughs> how big do they grow okay so some species um can grow to be quite large mm -hmm. anywhere between 100 and 200 feet uh, in ideal conditions yeah so they're really prolific um they're some of the qu the quickest uh growing photosynthesizers in the world and some species under ideal conditions can grow up to 17 centimeters a day what yeah and so okay so they're they're hold fast, which is kind of like a root system almost, if, if you're comparing it to land plants. Yeah, it's very similar to a root system in its um, structure, structure, but it has a very different function. Yeah. So roots um, on land plants, they anchor the plant into the soil, into mm -hmm. the substrate, but they have an additional function, which is transporting water and nutrients through the plant, yeah. through its vascular system. So there's like movement of energy happening through the roots, but um, in kelps and in seaweeds that um, transportation of water and nutrients isn't necessary because the kelp is living in an environment where it has everything it needs in the surrounding seawater mm -hmm. and it can just directly absorb it into each cell so it doesn't have the need for a vascular system whoa. to transport nutrients and water around whoa okay so that holdfast would be at the bottom of the ocean yeah it would be it would be uh, on the whatever substrate like whether it's rock or sand mm -hmm. or Sometimes they're found in the intertidal, but that's, um, that would be at the base of the organism. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then you have that stipe that goes up towards the top of the, like the water level. Yeah, that's right. So the okay. stipe is, um, depending on the species, it can be rigid, it mm -hmm. can be flexible. Um, kelps are found in like a really diverse range of environments. So oftentimes you can find kelps in really sheltered, protected, yeah. uh, sheltered, protected environments. And other times you find them, certain species require like the highest wave energy even to exist. Pastelsia comes to mind and that's the sea palm. And you only find them growing in like the most outer shores where they're getting just bashed by these huge waves all day. So by living in these different environments, they're gonna have to um, grow in different ways and have different morphologies that allow them to uh, like thrive in those environments. Right. So sometimes the stipe is rigid, sometimes the stipe is flexible so that it can move with waves. Right. Um, but the stipe is, the purpose of the stipe is usually to get the blade off the ground and get it sort of up towards the sunlight, which is what the kelp really needs to survive. Mm -hmm. And so that means that it's photosynthesizing when it's at the top, right? Yeah, exactly. So <clears throat> kelps are prolific photosynthesizers and that kind of um, is what leads to their high ecological significance. So kelps are some of the most prolific photosynthesizers in the world and their ability to grow so quickly and turn carbon and sunlight into sugar and oxygen um, uh, serves as what's called a primary producer. And primary producers form the base and sort of lay the bed for the ecosystem to function in. Yeah. And they're introducing energy, they're turning that sunlight energy into chemical energy 
and then that energy that then gets passed into the ecosystem as herbivores are consuming the kelps and then predators are consuming those herbivores so that energy is then passed through the ecosystem so who's eating the kelp so there's um, all sorts of grazers out there um, if you ever get a chance to snorkel through a kelp forest um, you'd get a chance to see them commonly we see mollusks so there's lots of snails um, abalone eat kelp um, there's arthropods, so there's a mm -hmm. specific type of crab called a kelp crab that lives in the kelp forest, uses it as habitat, and also eats the kelp. Um, so I'd say that I'd say mostly mollusks, arthropods, um, you know, different worms, mm -hmm. um, and even some fish. Even some fish would would be eating the kelp. Yeah. yeah. And then also some animals would use kelp as like their habitat in their home, right? That's right, and that's kind of like the secondary main function or mm -hmm. ecological function of, of kelp. So all kelps are primary producers, they're, they're producing energy for the ecosystem, but certain species of kelp, some often referred to as canopy forming species, they provide the underwater architecture in which the ecosystem can function. So they produce these huge structures mm -hmm. and they're chasing the sunlight. So many of these canopy forming uh, species have um, uh, gas filled structures that make them buoyant and bring them away from the seafloor up towards the surface. So that creates this three dimensional habitat in which the ecosystem can function. Hence architecture. H hence architecture. <laughs> so very similar to how um, uh, trees and forests mm -hmm. um, grow upwards away from the forest floor, kelps do the same thing. So now the habitat is moved off the two dimensional plane into the third dimension mm -hmm. and then just creates like this abundant habitat for species to, uh, to operate in. And who would live in a kelp forest? Oh, all sorts of species. So all those herbivores that we yeah. discussed. Um, then you'd have the predators that are eating those mm -hmm. herbivores. So rockfish, um, juvenile salmon that are out migrating from the rivers um, use kelp, kelp mm -hmm. beds to hide from their predators. Um, you see seals in kelp forests. They're chasing after the fish. Um, sea otters use it. They're yeah. eating the urchins that are eating the kelp. Um, so they really are some of the most diverse and, um, and abundant ecosystems that we have on the planet. Yeah. And like in my mind, I would almost compare it to a forest that we have on land, right? Yeah. It's, it's, it's like, it's a really great analogy and, um, and one that gets used all the time and it is, yeah. and it is a very similar comparison. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I feel like for a lot of people who haven't gone underwater and seen these kelp forests, it's like, you know, you only see the top and they look like slimy things that are just floating. Yeah, that's right. So if you do get a chance to see a kelp forest, mm -hmm. usually it's from the surface, it's from the boat, and they're called canopy forming species because that's exactly what they do. They float up to the surface, they have their blades along the surface of the mm -hmm. water, um, taking up that sunlight. But you, that's only a glimpse of really what's happening. There's yeah. so much happening below that, between the surface of the water and the ocean floor. Like there's this incredible amount of life and this amount of activity that's going on. And yeah, you don't really get the chance to see it. And that's why I think historically, kelp forests have kind of been overlooked as far as their like ecological function goes. You know, people, everyone knows about the, um, the Amazon and the rainforest and everyone knows about coral reefs, but it's sort of been in recent years that kelp's been getting a lot of mm -hmm. attention. Um, you know, their ecological significance has been known for a long time, but uh, it's really exciting to see in the last few years, more people who aren't necessarily marine biologists are starting to become aware of these systems. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and I feel like media is almost bringing more attention to that because now people can actually see underwater yeah. without going underwater necessarily. Yeah, that's right. Like there's so much technology now, whether it's um, uh, underwater ROVs mm. that are able to do like high definition, you know, cinematography. 
Um, I can think of a couple movies on Netflix that have like kelp, kelp yeah. forest footage. Um, I'm, I think it was either Blue Planet or Planet Earth has like an episode on coastal temperate ecosystems oh, and kelp. Cool. So, yeah. yeah, it's really cool how like now with technology we can bring this awareness and we can bring um, uh, like the importance of these systems to people who don't necessarily have the chance to go out and see it themselves. Yeah, mm -hmm. totally. And what is it about kelp that like got you hooked on kelp? So I got hooked onto kelp when I first moved to Bamfield. So I came out here in 2017 mm -hmm. as a student studying fish and really fell in love with the town, fell in love with the Marine Science Center. And after wrapping up school, I took a position teaching here and I was teaching um, students from elementary school to high school to um, early undergrads. And one of the lessons that we had to give was a seaweed lesson. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of what uh, introduced me to seaweeds. And I've always loved plants growing up. So uh, the transition uh, into seaweeds was like a very natural progression. So I kind of discovered this thing that um, like fascinated me from a biological perspective. Like, oh, they're, you know, they're, they're kind of like plants, but they're not plants. So like, here's this like almost uh, like interesting parallel here like yeah. and um, and then I started learning about the ecological significance so like moving here I obviously fell in love with the coast and like was like loving all the wildlife and then I learned about um, the ecological significance of kelps and how they like support this ecosystem and, and the role they play um, contributing to all the amazing things that yeah. I'm appreciating um, so that was kind of the first thing that drew me to it and then as I started diving a little bit deeper, I started learning about um, the opportunities that seaweed presents as a resource and that there's this like budding kelp farming industry in BC and seaweed production, like seaweed production in the world produces like over a million tons of seaweed and there's all these uses for, for seaweed like um, in cosmetics and pharmaceuticals and, mm -hmm. and human food and agri-feeds. Um, so it really just seemed like this untapped resource. So it was like, it kind of like was just sort of in a way ticking a lot of the boxes yeah. for me. Like it had this ecological function and it had this opportunity to mm -hmm. be a sustainable resource. Um, and I haven't really looked back since. Yeah. <laughs> and how long ago did you like really get into seaweed? Um, that probably would have been about three years ago. So that was probably when I moved to Bamfield mm -hmm. in 2018. Yeah. Yeah. And then west coast kelp kind of snowballed from there yeah so um when i was working so after i was teaching at the marine science center mm -hmm. i took a job in the research yeah. um, department as a research assistant helping researchers who were coming and using the facilities at bmsc and i had access to uh, the labs mm -hmm. and, and all the infrastructure there so um in my spare time i kind of i started dabbling with seaweeds at the time um, there was some interesting kelp research going on out here this paper that um, introduced this new restoration method, kelp restoration method, had just been published. Um, so I wanted to see if I could if I could grow kelp because you know I love gardening. I've even dabbled in like growing mushrooms. Mm -hmm. um, so I wanted to see if I could grow seaweeds. So I did a bit of that. I had some like very limited success. Uh, I had no idea what I was doing, but I was able to get some very very small kelps growing. And uh, that ended up leading to a position producing kelp seed for a kelp farming company. Mm -hmm. So then I produced kelp seed for their farms for about a year. And, uh, and then shortly after leaving them, I decided to found West Coast Kelp. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to take this uh, like unique ability that I had to produce kelp seed um, on a commercial scale and apply it, to, apply it through like a lens of restoration and conservation. Yeah. Um, because like 
Kelp restoration has been around for a really, really long time. Like the earliest records of kelp restoration um, date back to like 16th century Japan. So mm -hmm. it's been happening for a long time. Wow. And there's some really interesting papers out there um, um, that sort of discuss different methods and different successes and different failures. But for the most part, a lot of these um, restoration initiatives and these projects have been on a very small scale. Um, and globally, kelp forests are in decline. So there's this like huge push right now to sort of reinforce and um, restore this declining, mm -hmm. this declining type of ecosystem. And in order for that to happen, um, this kind of research and these kind of initiatives need to happen at a much larger scale. Um, and I was able to produce seaweed on a large scale for farming, right. uh, which is fantastic. Mm -hmm. um, but I also really uh, see the necessity for um, uh, increasing the supply of kelp seed to restoration initiatives. Right. Yeah. And so why are kelp forests on the decline? Right. So globally, the global trend is that they're declining. But interestingly enough, certain parts of the world are actually seeing uh, an increase okay. or like a, a net zero change. But globally, they are in decline. And there's a few different drivers for that. And those drivers vary depending on the location. Yeah. But globally, the two main drivers of decline are um, increased temperatures. Mm -hmm. So as with climate change, we're seeing a global trend in an increase uh, in, of seawater temperature. Right. And then coupled with that, there's an increase in what are referred to as marine heat waves. Mm -hmm. So these are like climate anomalies that usually take place over a year or over a few years. Um, and it's just like an abnormally high, uh, very similar to a land, yeah. uh, like a land heat wave. It's the same idea. So those are becoming more frequent. Mm -hmm. um, and kelps like cool water, cool yeah. nutrient rich water. And there is a negative correlation between temperature and nutrients. So when we have these high ocean temperatures, you're kind of exceeding that upper threshold of temperature for kelp, so yeah. that stresses them out. And then with the warmer water comes a lower level of nutrients and they need nutrients to grow. So it's kind of like this double whammy. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then um, another main um, reason for the decline is due to like um, uh, human, human fishing activities mm -hmm. in the ocean over the last several hundred years, we've really changed the balance of, of the ecosystems and a lot of the, the commercially valuable species that we're fishing for yeah. are um, top predators that are eating the organisms that are eating the kelp. So now we have this imbalance where we've removed these predators, whether it's a sea otter or whether it's uh, a cod on the east coast. Um, by removing these predators, that gives these herbivores a chance to increase their numbers and then they have a higher impact on the kelp. Right, because they'll just munch everything. Yeah, so it's, it's it, on the west coast here, we're seeing kelp are kind of getting like pinched from above and below. Above is the warmer water and that's kind of like forcing the kelp down, but then below are the urchins. So they're kind of getting sandwiched by these two like uh, agents of decline. Yeah. Um, which is like really unfortunate and a bit of a double yeah. whammy. Yeah. Oh, wow. And so in founding West Coast Kelp, you're kind of hoping to tap into the farming aspect of it as well as the restoration aspect of it? Yeah, so you know, I, I do think that the two go hand in hand mm -hmm. and there's a lot of overlap there, especially on the seed production side. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I would like to do both. Mm -hmm. I can see um, you know, there's, a, there's a huge benefit to farming seaweed, to yeah. farming kelp. Um, a lot of um, um, observations have been made suggesting that kelp farms can provide some of the same ecological functions that kelp forests do, that wild yeah. kelp forests do. Um, so farming seaweed, farming kelp in the ocean has a lot of really appealing aspects to it. 
Um, so if you compare it to say like land-based agriculture, yeah. land-based agriculture requires the use of arable land and there's always land disputes like how best should the land be used, mm -hmm. you know, should we build houses here for people to live in, should we farm here and produce food for people, so there's right. this conflict of, of, of uh, using that space. Land-based agriculture often um, uses harmful pesticides and herbicides mm -hmm. that can have their own consequences and it uses a ton of fresh water. So there's all these sort of um, downsides to land-based agriculture yeah. that you don't see in aquaculture. Okay. Yeah, and so with seaweed aquaculture, there's no inputs of fresh water, there's no inputs of herbicides or pesticides mm -hmm. or fertilizers, um, and the kelp has everything it needs to grow in the environment that you're growing in, yeah. and it has a really short grow time. Um, the, the kelp that we farm usually completes its life cycle from uh, late or late winter to mid-spring. So yeah. it's usually like a four or five month turnaround. Wow. Okay, yeah. so let's talk about the kelp life cycle then. Okay. Because like obviously if you're going to farm kelp, you have to start from seeds. Yeah. And do kelp start in seeds? Yeah, so it, kelp seed is a bit of a misnomer. Mm -hmm. um, we use the term kelp seed because it's a nice succinct term, but um, at no point in kelp or seaweed's life cycle do they have seeds. Yeah. Um, kelp actually have a really interesting life cycle and they have what we refer to as an alter, alternation of generations. So the kelp that you see mm -hmm. is actually only one of two generations. Oh, okay. So they have a macroscopic uh, generation, which is the kelp that you see. Macroscopic being that you can see it. Macroscopic being that, exactly, you mm -hmm. can see it without the use of a microscope. And these macroscopic kelps produce spores. Mm -hmm. And the spores are really interesting. They are very similar to human sperm cells. They, mm -hmm. have, um, they have a flagella, a tail. In fact, they have two tails, yeah. and that helps them swim and navigate through the water. And a lot of these spores are um, phototactic. So a lot of them have a little light sensor on them, yeah. and they actually uh, swim away from light so that they can swim down to the substrate, down Whoa. to the seafloor, and then they have little adhesives on their head, and they glue themselves to the substrate. And now they're kind of like uh, this microscopic entity that then would like via mitosis, which is cell division, mm -hmm. they then develop into the next stage, the next generation of the kelp, which is the microscopic phase. And this phase is referred to as a gametophyte. So a gametophyte, they live on the sea surf, or on the sea floor. They're uh, they're constantly dividing and producing yeah. more cells, waiting for these environmental cues that then lead them to produce either a sperm or an egg. And this is where it gets really interesting because here are these organisms that you know most of us think of as being plants yeah. or plant-like, and they're producing sperm and egg, which is uh, which is like a form of reproduction that we only uh, we're more familiar with in animals. Yeah which is really cool. Whoa. So those gametophytes are either male or female. Mm -hmm. The females produce an egg and the male produces a sperm. And when the time is right, the female will produce its egg and the egg releases a pheromone that tells the male gametophyte it's time to produce sperm. Whoa. The male gametophyte produces the sperm. It swims over to the egg and fertilizes it. And now we're getting back into that macroscopic phase, that right. macroscopic generation. So that fertilized egg then divides and grows into the kelp that we know and, uh, and typically think of. Whoa. Yeah. And that's it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. I really hope that you enjoyed this episode with Tom. We will have another episode next week. We'll continue with some kelp, and we have some really exciting things coming from West Coast Kelp up in Banfield, BC. You can see pictures and videos and all of that on my Instagram at Below the Tide Pod. It's also on my Twitter at below the tide pod how easy they're the same 
So I will see you next week and hit follow, subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts so that uh, I can see where everyone is listening from. You can put a review up if you feel so kind. That would be amazing. And other than that, I hope you have a great rest of your week.